0: Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life. One of the worst aspects of sexual sin is that it breeds deception inside of the addict's mind and heart. We've seen this over and over. A person can be up to their eyeballs in sin, and yet they can't seem to see the horrible reality of what they're doing. And not only that, they're blind to a lot of spiritual realities. The enemy lives in that realm of
1: darkness, that realm of not seeing things as they really are. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it is important if someone's wanting to come into freedom to see things as they are, to see pornography as it is. So we can minimize the weight of it. Like, oh, I'm I'm not acting out with somebody, but it's still not
0: seeing the spiritual reality of what's going on. The reason this matters is that until they begin to live in the truth, they're never going to find freedom from sexual
2: sin. Jesus doesn't minimize it, you know, that the scriptures clearly teach that even just lust is equated with adultery in your heart. Um, So it is a big deal. And Jesus even talked about the radical nature of dealing with these type of things, where he talked about literally cutting off a hand or plucking out an eye. It's better to go to life maimed, you know, than go to hell with both intact In this
0: episode, we're going to talk about a number of different situations that we've encountered in our ministry, like a guy who doesn't think that porn is all that bad, or someone who's cheating on their fiancé and doesn't see why that's wrong, and we're going to try to bring God's light to these situations. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so uh, Ken and Trey, we're here in the studio because what we want to do today is we want to respond to some situations that have come in. Maybe somebody responded on YouTube, or they called in asking a question to one of our counselors, and these are some of the situations that come up, and we just want to try to talk about it biblically, what are some of the issues, and try to expose some of the darkness that's, that's in these situations. So what I want to do is talk about a few different situations that actually, I think, Trey, you were the one who brought up a number of these to Patrick when we were talking about ideas for the Mm. podcast, because these are real-life situations. This is stuff that you guys are dealing with on a a day-in, day-out basis. Let's talk first about a guy who minimizes the evil of pornography.
2: Basically, um, Jesus doesn't minimize it, you know, that the scriptures clearly teach that even just lust is equated with adultery in your heart mm-hmm. um, so it is a big deal and Jesus even talked about the radical nature of dealing with these type of things right where he talked about literally cutting off a hand or plucking out an eye it's better to go to life maimed you know than go to hell with both intact you know I
0: know yeah I've thought about that too because it's like I can't imagine actually cutting off a hand or plucking out an eye. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're talking about like losing parts of your body that are so essential Mm -hmm. to life. And he's saying it's better to just cut it off and go through life really inconvenienced and really just. Yeah. Like, how are you going to live without a hand? Yeah. He's saying do it. Mm -hmm. It's better to do that than to go to hell.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and with that, I would just say, um, obviously, Jesus isn't advocating self-mutilation. Our bodies are created to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he literally is saying it would be better if you did that than to go to hell. In other words, do whatever it takes to deal with the issues that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I think what helps is also thinking about, you know, with counseling, we never just want to deal with the outward fruit. We want to get to the heart issues. So it's like, why are they minimizing? You know, And then what are they minimizing? I'll explain it this way. like They're either minimizing God's standard, or they're minimizing the weight of what they did, or they're minimizing the consequence of what could be. Mm. And so typically, when they're trying to minimize, like when I've done it, my heart behind it is I'm trying to protect something. So I'm either trying to protect the idol that I don't want to be revealed, because then I know if that's revealed, I have to cut that off. I have to deal with it. Or I'm trying to protect my own image. I don't want to be convicted about something, and I don't want it to appear godly. So if I minimize, you know, what God said, then what I did is, you know, in my eyes at least, not that bad.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting that you say that because I don't think I ever quite thought about it that way, that it's coming from this place of self-protection. Mm-hmm. Like I have to minimize this. Otherwise, I got to face it, and mm-hmm. I just don't really want to face it. So mm-hmm. I got to
2: minimize I don't think I've ever dealt with a person that minimized, that didn't somehow still want their sin. They wanted to hold on to this behavior. So somehow you have to justify it in your mind, especially professing to be a believer, to be a Christian.
1: Yeah, I kind of think of like, okay, the enemy lives in that realm of darkness, that realm of not seeing things as they really are. And Jesus said, if you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it is important if someone's wanting to come into freedom to see things as they are, to see pornography as it is, you know, and so we can minimize the weight of it like, oh, I'm I'm not acting out with somebody, right. whatever, all that. But it's still not seeing the spiritual reality of what's going on.
0: Yeah. What would you say the spiritual reality is then?
1: You know, the Bible teaches like this principle – that you're becoming like what you behold. Like mm-hmm. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18 talks about, you know, as beholding the face of Jesus, will reflect that. Psalm 115 talks about people becoming like the idols they make. So back in the day, they didn't have pornography like the way that yeah, we yeah. have it now. Yeah, like, magazines or yeah. computers. Or, yeah. yeah, so it was just kind of thinking like what did they have to actually go and do to go and find their sin, Back then, they had these pagan temples, and so imagining, like, you're going into this temple, and there's a atmosphere that the people are creating, that they're like-minded, they're just intended to pursue sin. And so this person is walking into this atmosphere, and they're immersing themselves in that. If we really think of the spiritual reality of what's happening in pornography, like, who's influencing them to do these acts? Who's really directing this creativity in a sense, mm. it's not God. Like yeah. it's not the Holy Spirit influencing these actors or whoever it is that's involved. It's the enemy. And so you're engaging in this worship experience, but of Satan. And when you see it like that clearly, it's like, okay, I don't even want to go near that. Yeah. But the, the other side of it, the why the Lord doesn't want us to minimize it, is because he wants us to come into the truth of what real worship with him looks like. Mm. And it's the opposite of what we're doing with pornography. In pornography, we're beholding these images, dissecting them, idolizing, adoring them, hours and hours on end. The opposite, the Lord wants us to behold the face of Jesus and get into worship there.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of the picture in Ezekiel, one of the visions that Ezekiel had, which the Spirit of the Lord took him to the temple and said, dig under the wall of the temple, dig through the wall of the temple and see what they're doing and see how the inner chambers are filled with abominations and images of creeping things. And yeah, it's just that same thing, like where the temple is being filled with abominations. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what pornography is. It's filling our temple with abominations, and God doesn't really see it any differently than he saw it then. If anything, it's, it's worse because we have so much more light and yeah. understanding of what God is requiring right. of us. Why don't we move on to the second one, which is a guy who's in— I think, this. yeah, this was a real thing Mm -hmm. that came in. A guy calls in and he says, I'm engaged, but I'm sleeping with other women, and I don't really see why that's a big deal.
2: Um, I like what Trey said because it's important, especially as biblical counselors, to always bring people back to the Word of God and how does God see these issues and what's his perspective and what's his standard. The standards in the Scriptures are not arbitrary, They're based on God's eternal nature, his character, and they're absolute. Sin is always sin. Hmm. It's always wrong to murder. You know, it's always wrong to steal or to lie, you know, whatever. Um, It's always wrong to commit sexual immorality. There's never a time when that's right. And that's not going to change. And you know the scriptures are very clear. And Paul even said this. He says in a couple places, he says, "Do not be deceived. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God." Mm. And I don't know where I heard this. Maybe you guys know, but I remember years ago I heard the adage, uh, "Morality is not a line; it's a direction." Hmm. Someone's sleeping around or doing these things that are wrong. It's like, well, how far can you go? Yeah. How much can I get away with before I cross that line into sin, you know, before marriage or whatever? You shouldn't even be heading toward the cliff. God's mm. line was way back here anyway. You should be heading away from that and toward the Lord. And that's where a lifestyle of repentance is. Mm-hmm. So someone to be full blown engaging in sexual immorality on a regular basis and thinking it's okay are totally deceived. And they need a wake-up call. They need someone to confront them in love and say, this is what how God views this. You know, you can't just minimize this. You can't just blow it off or think it's no big deal because one day you're going to have to give an account for these actions. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when you confront somebody with that, you know, they come to you and they've got this story and you say, brother, I got to say, <laughs> this is like really serious stuff. I, I don't even see how you could actually be a genuine believer and be living like this what's the typical reaction when you talk to people
2: Hmm. (laughs) self-defense wanting to somehow hold on to their religious system or their supposed relationship with the lord the holy spirit yeah god is love you know but the holy spirit is also the spirit of truth and if someone's truly a believer they're going to have the conviction of sin I don't have less conviction now that I'm not living in sexual immorality. I have more conviction because the closer you get to the Lord, the more these things are exposed and show up. So I would really question someone's salvation, not just because they're living an immoral life, but because they're not even concerned about it. how. How could you not be concerned about it? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: If you're talking to someone that's in that you know situation, what comes to mind is they're already setting themselves up for adultery in a marriage. Yeah. Um, Like they're practically already doing that. So in some way, like the Lord in his mercy is intervening where dealing with their sin now won't lead to as heavier and weightier consequences later. So the Lord is giving them an opportunity when they're being confronted with that truth to turn. So they don't have to bring a family, a wife into the same devastation, but, most of the time, if you confront them with that, they, like I mentioned earlier, they're minimizing because they want to protect something. If they see it as an issue, typically what they would want is they're wanting to find freedom or appease whoever it is while looking good doing it.
0: Yeah, it's just when I when I hear that, it's like, man, what kind of mm. a husband is this guy going to be? Mm-hmm. Somebody who has zero concern for his wife. yeah or his, his fiance at all. Like, he is just—he is getting ready to torture her with his actions, and she is going to be so devastated if she doesn't mm-hmm. find out about this and break it off. I mean, it's just going to be a train wreck of, of
2: emotional pain for mm-hmm. her. And it's interesting you mentioned that, Nate, because Christianity isn't just another dead religion— it's a relationship with God and it's a covenant relationship and it's based upon mutual faithfulness, mm. you know, and God even instituted marriage as a type of the relationship between him and his people, whether <laughs> him and the nation of Israel yeah. or, or, or Jesus and, and believer and, yeah. and his bride. and it's like they have no concept of that, either being faithful to their spouse or faithful to the Lord, because they're basically committing spiritual harlotry, and they're sinning against the marriage even before it starts, and they're being unfaithful to that covenant.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hope that people who are listening can understand the seriousness of it, because that's exactly right. I mean, when God gives us a place to image him, and says, I want you to show the world what I'm like, and then you show through your life that God is just an unfaithful, uncaring, unloving, self-serving. You're basically saying God is, like, he's not faithful to anybody. He's just in it for himself. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care who he hurts. Mm. And it's just, wow, it's, like, really dangerous.
1: Yeah, I was thinking, like... Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 talks about the purpose of marriage being to serve the Lord in a better capacity. Well, this person who is okay with just sleeping around with people, that's not their frame of mind. They're not thinking, oh yeah, I can't wait to get married so we can serve the Lord better because they're not trying to serve the Lord in their own singleness. Yeah. So, you know, they're really, like you were saying, they're in that frame of mind or have that heart motive of selfishness already. And so going into that marriage, you know, they're trying for the most part, they're wanting to get into that marriage for their own purposes. And, you know, it's still lust and lust is always wanting. It's never satisfied. Yeah. So they'll get married, but they'll still be like, well, I'm not satisfied with you. And eventually that's going to lead them to wanting something else, wanting something else. And, you know, maybe they're thinking like, once I get married, I'll have all my needs, needs met. Mm-hmm. But they're going to have the reality come where they're in the flow of lust And even when they're married and they're trying to use their new wife to meet their need of lust or whatever, they're not going to be satisfied. So they're going to find another way and another way. And it's just going to rabbit trail and, you know... The end of the matter for this person is, you know, that first marriage might lead to divorce. Then if they're still in that heart of lust, they're going to go and get married again yep. and bring another person in that. Yep. And it's going to repeat until this person actually sees the mercy of the Lord trying to lead them to repentance. Yeah.
0: Let's, um, let's talk about the, the next guy, basically a guy who is like living an unrestrained fantasy life. But he thinks ah, it's no big deal because I'm not actually doing anything. Like maybe I'm not actually viewing pornography. I'm not going to strip clubs. I'm not visiting prostitutes. I'm not sleeping around. But all of that is happening in his mind. But it's like, well, but I didn't actually do it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because number one, this person's in a worldly mentality. In the world, says you can look but don't touch mm. type thing. And somehow their behavior, their attitudes towards sin or what's right and wrong morality is being shaped by the world. You know, and Paul was clear. He says, don't be conformed to the world in Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And John said, you know, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And they're deceived as to the nature of sin and how evil it is. You know, and it's really a hard issue just because you're not acting out doesn't mean, like Jesus said, that you're not committing adultery in your heart. Mm -hmm. And also don't kid yourself just because you're not acting out doesn't mean that you won't eventually get there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a Pandora's box. Once you open that thing up, lust can just take over. It is addictive and it's a powerful thing. Uh, It was meant to be a powerful means physically of a man and a woman and his wife expressing mutual love, and it is a way to really cement the relationship together. And when you start getting into that in your mind, you're crossing lines you should never cross. You know, you shouldn't lust after your wife either, of course. Right. But, you know, being attracted to your wife, you know, really it's like you should only be attracted to one person sexually. And that's your wife if you're married. And if not, you just need to put those passions to death. Yeah.
1: I was thinking, you know, the person with fantasy, like they're minimizing the standard of God, like that's set. And then they're also minimizing the reality of what lust is. Like they're thinking this won't actually end up more than what it is. Like in their mind, they're thinking, I actually have it contained, which is like, no, you don't. (laughs) Like Proverbs uh, 6, uh, 27 says, can a man carry fire next to his bosom and not be burned? Well, the answer is no, they can't. And so we're, you know, that person's thinking, well, I can carry this, this flame of lust in my heart and it actually won't cause any ripple effect actions. But, you know, every guy who's in our program and even myself, like, we didn't just jump into some of the sins that we committed. It started at that place of allowing lust to to feed and grow and build. So, you know, they're fantasizing, but then fantasy doesn't become enough and they get into self-gratification. Well, that's not enough. I want to act out with somebody. And then that person's not enough. And it just snowballs into this place where, like most guys, you know, who come into our program, they look back and see, like, how did I get here?
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was I was dating a girl and we were trying to keep some kind of semblance of purity in our relationship. So we said, okay, we're not gonna kiss. You know, that like hold hands or whatever, cuddle, or but no kissing. Mm-hmm. And we were good for a while, but there was like a pretty strong temptation. Mm-hmm. And eventually we did, we crossed that line. And it was like, something happened because once we crossed that line, it was like there were hardly any other lines. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty similar to a guy like this who's not dealing with his heart. There's going to be a time when, you know, he might be thinking to himself like, okay, I'm not going to cross any physical boundaries, but I would guess that when he crosses that physical boundary, there's going to be a lot of other lines that he crosses Mm -hmm. right away because he's not submitted to the Lord in his heart at all. Mm -hmm. Without like real repentance, he's going to go a long way down that road.
2: That's so true. And the other thing is getting back to the reality of the nature of sin, that it's ultimately a heart issue. And whether you're acting out or not before God, it's still sinful. You know, Paul lists these categories of sin those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And of course, sexual sin is in there, acting out with other people. But he said, a covetous man who is an idolater, you know, yeah. that covetousness is basically yep. the lust to gain something for self. And that's basically what sexual sin is, but in that, you know, in that way or whatever. So you're lusting after someone, you're objectifying something, then you're in that covetous spirit. Yep. And that means you're an idolater because instead of flowing in the love of God, you're in an opposite flow to get something for yourself and that's the flow of the devil. Oh yeah. So you're actually in the spirit of the devil whether you act out or not. Yeah. That's what that's the posture of your heart.
0: Yeah, and and especially with fantasy, I think fantasy is probably just as destructive as pornography because it's accessible I mean, now pornography is accessible a lot more than it used to be, Mm -hmm. but fantasy is literally a second away at any given time. You Mm -hmm. can be sitting in a doctor's office, but in your mind, you're doing all kinds of filthy things, or sitting in class, or sitting in church, and right in your mind, you're committing all kinds of filthy acts, all kinds of sinful acts, Mm -hmm. and... Yeah, you're right. Jesus basically says, and the biblical writers basically make it pretty clear that if that's the posture of your heart, you're doing it. Mm-hmm. That's what God sees is a man doing the things that he's fantasizing about. And, yeah, it's really dangerous.
1: Yeah. yeah, And I think for the guy who is you know wanting to overcome their sexual sin, but they're struggling with fantasy, they need to have that line drawn in their heart of, okay, I won't entertain this because as they entertain it, that image becomes more and more vivid in their mind and more and more vivid. And then there's more things added to it. And they really, they're creating this mold of what they want. And it's all selfish. They're creating this mold of what they want, and it's just growing and growing and growing. They don't see it. It might not look outwardly like they're getting further than they are, but spiritually in their hearts, so they're going further and further and further, which means they're getting farther and further from actual freedom, which would be yeah. cutting off the sin and confessing immediately You know, when that fantasy comes up of, okay, this is what's going on, Lord, and confess it to the Lord, and then turning from that. Yep and even with that like we were mentioning earlier you know they're they're worshiping this thing like mm, yeah. in their mind in their mind's eye it's consuming with their thoughts and so if they're really wanting freedom when they turn to the lord and repent and drawing a line in the sand with fantasy they are bringing themselves back into fellowship with the lord and giving the opportunity for the lord to give them the life that he really intends to
0: all right, we're going to take a quick break from the interview because I want to play a short talk that Pastor Steve gave to the students in our residential program. He touches on a few things that are really relevant to what we've been talking about.
3: I was looking in Luke 3, and it says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And it came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In verse seven, so he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Here's what I want to say in the quiet time just this word expectation came to me and um, Proverbs 10 says the hope of the righteous is gladness but the expectation of the wicked perishes you know sin does things to you it makes a coward out of you a moral coward especially if you're addicted to pleasure like we've been it makes you into a moral coward It, it fills you with self-deception where you can't see the truth anymore, you're just, there's a cloud over your mind and it's created a false filter so everything you're seeing in life is through that filter and it's skewed. Those are a couple of things that it does, but what it also does is destroys hope. It destroys it. It's like, The expectation of the wicked perishes, and the way it came to me when I read it, it's like you have your hopes up, but they just fizzle. They just turn into dust. And it happens over and over and over again when you're living in habitual sin. Everything you put your hopes on just falls apart you begin to expect life to be that way. That's what cynicism is. It just turns you dark and everything you see is through that dark lens. James, he said, a double-minded man, let him not expect anything from the Lord. And it's true, when we're in sin, our sin has separated us from God and he can't bestow his blessings on us when we're in that condition. He can't. It would be wrong for a holy God to bless people who are in sin. No, it says it all through the Bible. What you can expect if you go in your own way and you give over to sin, you can expect curse. Curses on everything you try to do. I lived in that for a long time. And I suspect you have too. But you guys at least those of you who are responding to the Lord, you're in a transition period here. You're going from a period of having no expectations. All your hopes for years have been dashed. You're going from that and you're coming into a time of hope. That's what the Lord's bringing you into. And it's repentance that causes you to cross over. These people that John preached to, responded they said the same thing what shall we do that's what they said to John are you saying that to the Lord Lord what do we do he's right I am I have been a viper I have been all these things it's true that's the first place you've got to come to that quit pointing the finger at everyone else and look at yourself at your own heart and let God deal with you If you'll do that, he's gonna bring you into something else. Because it says here, after that, it says, while the people were in a state of expectation. What an awesome thing to live your life in a state of expectation. When you're expecting the Lord to come to you and to bring his blessings and to fill your heart with goodness and gladness and hope. It's such an awesome thing, but you don't get there by your own way. There's only one way that you come into that, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's through the repentance of the cross that brings us into that. When you respond to God and and to his message in that way, he is going to come to you with good things. Wouldn't that be wonderful to really honestly be able to expect good things? Not making it up in some fantasy, but to really honestly be able to expect him to come with blessings in his hand. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be able to live that way? Well, there's gotta be a transition to get there. There has to be a change. You know, you you had no right to expect anything before when you were in habitual sin, but God is bringing you into something new.
0: One of the next points that I want to talk about is a man who's blaming his wife for him looking at pornography or whatever, we definitely have people call in and say, well, it's my wife's fault. If you've got a guy who is constantly fantasizing Those fantasies are coming from his own desires. So he's got situations and he has characteristics and body types and actions that he loves. And that's coming from his own heart. Now it's becoming really entrenched in him. So then when he gets into married life and his wife isn't a porn star— And she doesn't want to do some of the things that he has fantasized about, and she doesn't look like his fantasy women, then, yeah, it's really easy to be totally dissatisfied and then to start blaming his wife and say, well, you know what? If you're not going to meet my needs, then I got to go somewhere else. So I'd like to talk about this a little bit. What are some of the things going on here?
2: Lust is demanding. You know, if if someone has given themselves over to that mindset, then that lust is never going to be satisfied. So not only is it sinful, but you're putting your wife in a position that she could never, like you say, live up to that fantasy. And it's interesting, I say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In the garden, the first sin, Adam, blame shift. It's the woman you gave me, you know?
0: (laughs) Wow, yeah. And
2: somehow you know, it's my wife's fault I'm doing these things. Even if your wife is sinning against you, it's never right for you to sin. And it's also an immature view of marriage. You know, what can I get out of this relationship? But in, in the Pauline description of marriage in Ephesians, he talks about, you know, Jesus is the example. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. We're supposed to lay down our life for our wife not sin against her or not, well, she's not meeting my needs, so I'm going to go out and meet my needs. It's supposed to be sacrificial love. Mm. And I would say in a truly Christian marriage where they both know the Lord, if the husband is really modeling Jesus to his wife, that woman is going to respond and he is going to have his needs. Really, he's going to be fulfilled and satisfied the way God intended through that marriage because it will be reciprocated.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think even like, for someone listening, they might hear you kind of describing what the person's in, and they think, wow, that's kind of harsh. But <laughs> right. it's it's truth. And just like Ken was saying, you know, I always think of, in trying to define, like, am I in lust or not? The question I kind of ask is, or the phrase is, I want fill in the blank. Mm. And that's what lust is. Like Ken was saying, I'm wanting, wanting, wanting. And with their wife, you know, that's kind of the frame of mind that they're in. Like, I'm just wanting more. I'm wanting more than what you're giving me. And the solution to that is seeing the blessing the Lord's giving them, which Mm -hmm. is why gratitude is so important for a Christian or a a man who's wanting to come out of sexual sin because the phrase I use for gratitude is I have fill in the blank and they're acknowledging like this is what I have, this is what I have, and this is what the Lord, not even what I've had, this is what the Lord's giving me. So, in one sense, like lust is this arrow that's going in this direction of wanting, where gratitude's going in this direction of what I have, what the Lord's giving me. And so they're in polar opposites. When you're in that place of gratitude and you're thankful for what the Lord's given you, you're satisfied, and you can have less than what you actually want, but be satisfied because mm. your eyes are on on that. That's where your heart is.
0: Yeah. I I do think sometimes we need kind of like a shock to our system of the reality of what's happening on the inside. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing I'm really grateful for is that when we acknowledge that, I've always found that it's like the tone of the Lord really changes. Mm -hmm. You know, once we acknowledge, wow, I've been treating my wife so horribly, he doesn't just like keep beating us. He's like, all right, let me let me teach you how to love her. Mm-hmm. Let me teach you how not to blame shift. I love you. I want to see you come into a, a much better frame of mind and spiritual condition. Mm-hmm. So those hard words sometimes are really just intended to bring us to repentance, and then the grace of the Lord just overflows to us. So that's what's amazing to me about his grace.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I remember... Uh, just getting back to what Trey said before about the truth, you know, the truth is what sets us free and telling a man how evil this mindset is, telling a man how selfish that is, it's not going to be a very palatable message. <laughs> it's just not, you know, we right. don't want to hear that about ourselves. But like you said, Nate, what freedom comes in, you know, and I was thinking about flipping the script on this. Okay. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, esteem others better than yourself. Your wife is your closest neighbor. And if you're not willing to do it there, he's probably selfish in all his relationships. Mm. But what would he think if his wife was doing that? Yeah, would he justify that? Well, I'm, I treated her bad. I guess it's okay. How would how would he respond if it was uh-huh. res, if it was on mm. the opposite, you know, yeah. foot?
0: Yeah, it is amazing to me, just kind of as a background for those who haven't been in ministry to people in sexual sin for a long time. Um, it's amazing to me how often, like a guy could be sleeping around with prostitutes and viewing pornography but then his wife threatens to divorce him and he like loses it it's like the worst thing has happened how could she do this you know it's it just shows the blindness mm-hmm. you know you've treated her like trash for decades and now she's she's done with it and you can't fathom how she could do this to you
2: just it's bad it is amazing. <laughs> and he's already broken the covenant, and now she wants to break it, and he's upset.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it just yeah.
2: kind of just gives
1: testimony to Hebrews 13 about the deceitfulness of sin. Like, it really is deceitful. The more you're in it, the less... Uh, clearly the lines are now. And so crossing it becomes easier and easier. What became black and white is now gray. And that's what even makes it so hard for guys coming out of it is because they're so blinded to what is really truth. You know, going back to what Ken referenced with John 8, you know, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, what is that truth? Like, It's his word. Mm. And getting into his word creates that standard of this is what God says it is. And truth really does have a way of setting people free. I mean, think about it. If we watch a documentary on like how a certain food is made and we find out how disgusting it is, (laughs) like anytime you try to go eat it, you're like, no, I know what this (laughs) really is. No more hot dogs. Yeah, exactly. exactly. (laughs) But like for the guy who's minimizing sin – Part of it is because he doesn't want to lose that sin and he knows if he admits the reality of what's going on yep. spiritually and where he's at spiritually, then he knows like, I can't just engage in this right. and think it's okay. Yep. So the solution is calling sin, sin before even temptation comes and in the midst of temptation. Yeah. Once you do that, once you're calling it as it is and seeing it for what it is, you really you, you really come to the recognition of, I don't really want that. And when you see the consequences for what they are, you realize, I don't really want that. And that helps you. I mean, I've seen that help me from going down that path and and feeding that Mm. lust in my heart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The next situation we were going to talk about was a guy who isn't blaming his wife, but blaming God. God hasn't sent me a wife. How could he expect me to stay pure? I've I've read that comment on YouTube a lot in our videos, like, well, if he wants me to be pure, then why doesn't he send me a wife? What's going
2: on there? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I go back to the garden. Now, instead of focusing on the woman, it's God. It's the woman you gave me. Yeah. You know, blaming God because the lusts of his heart aren't being fulfilled, that God's somehow holding out on me. I remember years ago, John Piper had an editorial in a newspaper, and he talked about abstinence Apart from marriage, and someone wrote a scathing response to that editorial. He goes, "If I'm not married, you mean I'm supposed to have no? Se- I'm a man, I'm to not have sex for the rest of my life?" And he brought out a basic thing. He's like, "Jesus Christ was the most authentic, the most fulfilled man that ever lived, and he never had sex." Mm. We've equated sex with an actual need. I have to have this, right? Like food, water, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. A, a biological necessity.
0: If I don't have it. I yeah. can't survive. I
2: can't even survive without this. And and the problem is, in our sexualized culture, we've put sex at the top. You know, we've put sex at the top, and it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other things, the spiritual component of man. You live forever, having a relationship with God, having wholesome relationships mm-hmm. with other people. Mm-hmm. That's what really satisfies, and sexual immorality is just a cheap substitute for that. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I look at this, too, and I see that— it's it's easy for us to do this where we think that obedience to god is circumstantial hmm. like this guy is basically saying i can't obey until my circumstances change hmm. and then i'll be able to so my purity is conditional on having a wife that i can you know release my sexual tension or however he sees this And it's like it totally takes God out of the equation where not even God can make me pure, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's one of those things where we just have to humble ourselves to the Word of God Mm -hmm. that, yes, He can make us pure without a wife. He can Mm -hmm. give us a pure heart so that we're not looking to a woman to fulfill our needs. This is what we have continued mm-hmm. to talk about, that lust is all about. I want you to fill my needs. Instead, like our life is headed in a different direction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give. My life is going to be one of giving. Yeah. And then I can be pure in any circumstance.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really at the heart, unbelief. Unbelief that God can keep me pure, being single, and unbelief that God can actually be satisfying more than sexual things. Mm. So that person's thinking, I need sex to be fulfilled. But really what ends up happening is now they're dependent on that thing. And so now they're enslaved to that. And so even if they had it, you know, they're still bound by that thing. So they're actually forcing somebody to continue to, you know, meet what they're wanting and again, they're never satisfied. Yeah. But I think of like First Thessalonians four, where it says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles. And that's what the Lord wants us to to live in, especially as single men controlling your own vessel. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that marriage doesn't satisfy that lust. Like, if that was a solution to sexual sin, then we should have no married guys in our program. Yeah, But the reality is that almost half are married guys, and these are men who have fed their wants, and it never satisfied and continued and continued and continued. So if they're not able to control their own vessel while being single, you know, marriage isn't going to solve
0: it. Well, I think it just does need to be said really clear, too, Mm -hmm. that marriage doesn't help Mm -hmm. it doesn't solve it yeah so i mean there's probably guys listening right now who are thinking if i could only get married then i could get pure in my heart and we're here to tell you that for 35 years we've been dealing with this and we've never found anyone where marriage was the cure Mm -hmm. so like you're not going to be the first one
1: yeah yeah exactly You know, kind of the solution, like how can a young man stay pure is what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119. He says, by guarding it according to your word, we have to go back to the word, like guarding our path by the word, setting that to be the standard that dictates my actions and the weight of that. Living in that reality, the reality of the word, keeps my path pure.
2: And if you really allow God to transform your thinking through the word of God, it will transform the way you respond to sexual sin and sexual temptation. But I wanted to go back to what Trey mentioned about unbelief. It's not just unbelief in God being able to keep you and God being satisfied, but it's also maligning his nature and character. God hasn't given me. In other Mm. words, God's holding out on me. And I thought it was interesting. Mm. Adam and Eve were in paradise. And the devil insinuated that somehow God knows the day you eat of that fruit, you'll be like him, you know, that God is holding out. They were already had abundant life. They already had a relationship with God. They were living in paradise for crying out loud. And the devil was trying to offer them life outside of god and they really traded the tree of life which is a relationship with god for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil taking their life into their own hands trying to get that abundant life outside of god i mean that's really the epitome of sexual sin eating off the wrong tree if we're not going to be satisfied in god nothing else including sexual lust will ever satisfy
0: yeah this is all so good and i think maybe we could end by just kind of talking a little bit about how we've seen god bring people out Of this, because we're talking about the darkness of sexual sin, and we've Mm -hmm. kind of laid out some pretty serious things here. But our ministry isn't founded on just telling people all the things that's wrong with them. Mm -hmm. It's like we want to lead people out of this darkness and into God's light. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, for me, I had to come to the realization that I was minimizing to protect something, which was whatever I was protecting was an idol. And for me, that idol was a relationship I didn't want to lose. It was a position in ministry I didn't want to lose. And because those were my idols, or in a sense that was my goal, all my actions were dictated by attaining that goal further. But I had to realize, though, I was serving those idols and not Jesus. When the Lord showed me that, I was able to repent of it, but then turn to, okay, Jesus, I want you. And if I really want you, I'm going to do whatever it takes to find freedom. And that means I'm going to live in the light. I'm going to call sin as sin. I'm going to obey your commands. And part of that turning from, okay, what was previously now I was idolizing something. I was worshiping something that wasn't Jesus. So in repentance, now I'm turning to worshiping Jesus. Like Romans one twenty five says, they worship the creation versus the creator. Well, now I'm going to turn my heart and get into worshiping Jesus. And as I get into worship, as I read his word and just look at his heart behind his commands, not just like, oh, he's telling me not to do something. Mm. Well, no, what's his heart behind this? Like he's protecting me from going this route or he's wanting to bring me into something. and you know, just like John 10, 10 says, you know, he wants to give life and life abundantly. Mm-hmm. And I would just challenge anybody who's wrestling with being single and believing the lie from the enemy that God can't really satisfy you. Like, that's not true. But you don't know what you don't know until you actually taste and see that he's good. You'll see that in worshiping Him, obeying Him, being content in being single and following Jesus, or even being married but finding contentment in the bounds that God's given you, you will be satisfied, you will be fulfilled, and following Jesus won't feel like white-knuckling anymore, but you'll actually be walking in the
2: power of God because there's actually life in that relationship. Yeah, I would say for me, um, you know, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And God is constantly calling us into the light, into himself. Jesus said, walk in the light while you have the light, that you may be children of the light. And for me, it's like my idol or what I didn't want to lose was my reputation. That was definitely it for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't want people to know what I was really like, maybe fearing rejection or whatever. But if someone is willing to come in the light, and for me, I got desperate enough that I got to do something. It wasn't comfortable. I didn't want to do it. Right. But if you're willing to come into the light there is tremendous freedom in that. And if not, you're just gonna stay in your sin and you're gonna be stuck. And really having an understanding of who God is. You know, Jesus said that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I use the analogy with guys all the time because it's so vivid, graphic, and just basic and easy to understand. When you're living in sexual sin, you were created, obviously, to be in a relationship with the Lord and to flow out from there. So you're like a black hole self is on the throne of your heart if you draw a circle that's your life and you're like a black hole sucking the life out of everything around you just taking 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 Mm. but god created us to have jesus as the center of our life and you're like a sun sun radiating the glory the the light the warmth the Mm. love of god to Mm. other people and that's where the fulfillment comes in Mm. because then god's able to fill you and satisfy you And God's an abundant God. The overflow is what the ministry is. It's the overflow of God's life and presence in you that reaches out and blesses other people. Mm. It's totally counterintuitive. It is, Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's when you give your life away that you find true life. Mm -hmm. And when you invest in the needs of others, that if you can become passionate about giving like you were about getting your lust, your whole life will be revolutionized. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, for me... I was just totally out of it when I came to Pure Life and like so out of it spiritually. I was pretty satisfied at some level in my sin. Like I had experienced some of the consequences and Mm -hmm. I wasn't feeling that great. But overall, I was pretty satisfied in my sin. I was just pursuing what I wanted. And it was the Lord's intervention. He Mm -hmm. was seeking after me and brought me to Pure Life and... At one point, I just basically said like, okay, Lord, these people are telling me that something's wrong in my life. I don't see it. Just show me what it is that you want me to see? And that's when he just started to dig so deep in my life and pull up all the darkness and the reality. Like all I could see at that point was how arrogant I was, how hard-hearted, selfish, self-righteous, self-centered. It Mm -hmm. was just like all I could see at that point was my sin. Mm -hmm. So he was just dealing with me and disciplining me and chastising me Mm -hmm. and then calling me to real repentance, which... For me, it took quite a while because I didn't even really know what real repentance was. Mm-hmm. So I was like trying my best kind of, but a lot of it was just self-effort mm-hmm. and self-righteousness. But in the middle of that, he was just leading me onward to him, making me hungry, making me desperate, making mm-hmm. me just want to have him living in yeah. my life in place of me. And over time, you know, he, he did it. He wow. did what he wanted to do and it's been 14 years of that, <laughs> you yeah. know, of like him just constantly and continually showing me there's more. Mm-hmm. I have more for you. I have more of my life to give you. Mm-hmm. There's more in you that is still not right and I want to I want to mold you and shape you even more. So yeah. what a journey.
1: Can I say one last yeah. thing? In my own testimony, I was always getting caught in my sin. And so that led me to more and more minimizing my sin. And the verse that came to mind was like Proverbs 28 13. He who conceals his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it will obtain mercy. When I was in the program, I didn't want to confess and forsake my sin because I thought the result would be the same thing as when I got caught in my sin. And it took me actually stepping out and confessing and forsaking my sin, bringing it to the light, not minimizing it, to see that God actually wants to show me mercy. For the person who is scared of bringing something to the light, scared of calling their sin sin, scared of seeing the reality of where they're at, if they're actually confessing and forsaking in sincerity, God wants to show the mercy. Yep. Um, and I think also for the guy who's minimizing, a lot of times, like Ken said, you know, we want to minimize so we don't have to come to terms with where we're at our reputation our image yeah because what ends up happening when we admit where we're really at we just see i'm wrong but when we see jesus in the equation and we see okay i can admit that i'm wrong but jesus can make me right he can make what's crooked straight he can cover right. me so i don't have to fear being wrong i'm i'm expected to be wrong i am wrong i'm human <laughs> right so i when i just like come to terms with, I'm wrong, that weight is now shifted to the Lord, and He can cover me, He can fill me with more of the life of Jesus and bring me out of it. And that's His mercy when we confess and forsake.
0: I remember coming to the residential program, this was back in 2008, and I was so blind to the sin that was in my heart and life. In my first counseling session, my counselor confronted me about my pride, and I literally had no idea what he was talking about. So a few months in, I made a choice. I was going to allow the Lord to reveal to me what he saw when he looked at my life. And I've shared this story a number of times on the podcast because it was such a crucial moment for me. Over the next few months, God began shining His light into my darkness. And I have to say, it was really, really painful. I started seeing things about myself that I had never seen before. Sexual sin, obviously. But the things that really stood out to me during that time were my pride, my arrogance, my hypocrisy. I had been in the church my whole life. And I had been pretending like I was godly. But then, behind closed doors, I lived for sexual pleasure, pornography, self-gratification, and sex with my various girlfriends. My life, I found out, was a denial of what it means to be a Christian. And until God shined his light into my heart, I couldn't see it at all. I'm going to leave it right here because maybe some of this is resonating with you. Your life is full of sexual sin, and you just don't see why this is a big deal. And I'm going to tell you in love that if that is the case, your spiritual life is a disaster. And unless something changes dramatically, you are going to be judged one day with perfect justice. And I can assure you, you don't want that. I would encourage you, urge you, please let God shine his light into your darkness now. He's willing, and he'll do it with compassion and with grace and with mercy, and that light is going to transform your life. But you need to be willing for him to do that. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next week.